Welcome, everyone, to episode 34 of the Rex Chapman Show with super cool, my super dope homeboy from the L-Town, Josh Hopkins. I like that introduction. You did L-Town last time. Yeah, man. I'm going to keep doing it. That's my thing now. That's your thing now. All Just right. yeah. get used to it. All right. Yeah. I want yeah. cat calls in the street like, hey, yeah. L-Town. Hey. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sell yeah, t-shirts. Be my, that's my, here's Johnny. Yeah. Right, super dope homeboy. Super dope homeboy from the L town. That's so cool. Right? Yeah. I can only speak. I'll come um, up with something for you. Like this is my friend Rex, who's also he's awesome. Cool. Is that that doesn't flow? I, I'll I come love up it. I love. I like your flow. All right. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Bar, bars. <laughs> what? Bars. Uh, what's up, man? Nothing, man. Uh, episode 34. It's the uh, friend of the show, Shaquille O'Neal episode. Not Shaquille, but he wore 34. Who else wore 34? He wore a lot of numbers, but I go straight to sweetness. Walter Payton. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, uh, my growing up 34. Yeah. Um, also, I go to Chuck, Charles Barkley, college. That, that Auburn 34 jersey just sort of stands out to me. Uh, I know you're not much of a, a war eagle, but... Uh, I'm an aficionado, uh, not aficionado, but I'm a, I'm I'm an expert of some kind on the whole war eagle, eagle tiger thing. Oh, You're not. I'm not. I went there, but I know, but you didn't really. You just oh. kind of went went to sporting events and stuff. You weren't cracking the books like, like right? This yeah. yeah. Speaking of that, real quick, the uh, book club. Um, yep. People that yep. don't know, we uh, we we talk about books and stuff we've read that. We think you guys as an audience might might enjoy if we do. Rex, did you get to anything this week? Interesting. You should say this. Okay. I just got sent. I just got sent a uh, a book this week. I've had it for a week. It's a uh, friend of the show. Seth, Seth Davis's book, The Wooden oh. Book. The Wooden Book? Yeah. So I've had that this week, uh, but hadn't gotten around to to checking it out. So yeah, I think we call those between you and I, we call those, uh, paperweights. Yeah. 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 I've got a couple of the paperweights holding this computer up. Yeah. Yeah. I got some paperweights (laughs) over here myself. Uh, Have you read anything this week? Um, no, but Mm. I no. So that's been book club. Uh, a lot of the, Going to oh, home real quick. Uh, yeah, I want to mention a Kentucky 34. Your boy, my guy, yeah, Ken, Kenny Skywalker. Yeah, yeah, that, which that, by the way, legal name, it's his legal name. He was really? born Kenny Walker, born Kenneth Walker, given no middle name. Uh, so about early 90s. I went down to the courthouse with him. He had to go through this whole paperwork thing, legally changed his name to Kenny Skywalker, S-K-Y. That is awesome. <laughs> it is awesome, right? Mm. <laughs> going to be hard to top that in the yeah. pod. Like, that's, a, that's amazing. Yeah. How did yeah. I not know that? Kenny's the best. The best. When we have uh, him on here. You can say Kenny Skywalker because it's really, okay. It's sweet. really your legal name. Uh, a lot of what, what, what's going on in the NBA league this year, Rex? A lot of, a lot of goings on. We've made it to the all-star break. Um, exciting uh, that the best team in the league are, is the Phoenix Suns. Uh, um, 
I think that that's, I think they, they are scaring a lot of the teams right now because they're yeah. pretty playing pretty well. Um, but long, long way to go. I'm excited for Monty Williams and his staff to coach in the all-star game. Yeah. That'll be fantastic. Um, you know, the trades that were made last week, we still haven't seen Ben Simmons play uh, for the Nets, still haven't seen James Harden play for the Sixers. Also, I we got to touch this uh, with our guests today, touch on this, but I watched a ba- basketball game here in New York the other night between the New York Knickerbockers and the Brooklyn Nets. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the worst beats you've ever seen by a home by a home team. And in this market up here, the Knicks fully healthy, fully healthy in, at home in the garden, up 28. And they lost to the Nets. No KD, no Ben Simmons, no Kyrie. <laughs> what i mean seriously think about that it's like it would be like uh us losing a a kentucky losing a 28 point lead at home to louisville without any of louisville starters right yeah come on (laughs) oh boy i feel bad for for tibbs and their staff it just looks sour right now but hopefully they'll get it i love i love tom thibodeau he's a Hell of a basketball coach, Kenny Payne, on the staff there. I know they're going through their stuff right now, though. Anyway. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's uh, that's a tough one. They were talking about all in the media oh. because, I mean, that's – you know, the Knicks aren't very good, but better than they've been. And the expectations year. got them, though, that yeah. last year. Because, you yeah. know, Knicks fans are well, – they're fans. And they saw progress. They – I think they've been ex- as as they should have. They want to see another step, but yeah. they, they definitely haven't taken that step. And looks like right now they've taken a step back or so. Um, mm-hmm. So it's going to be interesting to see the second half. See how uh, you know I still Miami's good, Milwaukee's good, Sixers are going to be good with you know the addition of James. They're just going to be different. Um, Lakers to see are terrible. How the Lakers. Anthony Davis, our boy, got hurt again. And did you, did you, did you see that? It? Yes, oh. I saw it. And you know, I, I've 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 done that is called a foot spring when it goes over the top mm-hmm. like that. And that is to me, that's much more difficult to recover from than the ank- regular old ankle sprain that rolls over the traditional way, which is also terrible. Mm-hmm. But the top of your foot swells as well as your ankle. And it just can, I, I'd be shocked if he's back playing effectively in a month. I mean, right. that's, it's going to take some time. No, I saw, I'm a, I'm a bad ankle physiological yeah. guy. And I've so, you know the bad ankle guys, the guys that play in oh, running yeah. shoes and turn yeah. it and run it off. Yeah. And I well, turn it and I'm in a cast. Like I've torn every ligament on both ankles three or four times once I had to play in ankle braces and it felt like a robot, you know. So when I we, saw that go all the way over like that, I accidentally, I shouldn't have watched. I was like, did it go? How'd he do it? And then, yeah. Oh, I got sick. The only thing, because it went all the way and mm-hmm. made me 
sick. But the only thing I saw that could have been worse is if it went all the way over like that and his toe was pointed more. Oh, you know, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it went like oh. that. But when it's like that. Yeah. Oh, it's even, wow. uh, anyway, enough of that. But he Lakers are done. Yeah, I think, I, you know, it's going to be tough. LeBron's, hey, nobody wants to play. You know, you don't ever, whether he's the eight seed or the two seed or the one seed, you don't want to play arguably the greatest player ever. I said arguably because people can make that argument. And he's, you know, one of the top two or three ever. You don't want to play that man, no matter who he has beside him, because he's going to get calls and he's still, he's killing it. I mean, yeah. he looks he looks like he's, you know, 20. Man, I don't want to exaggerate 30. If he the Lakers like were were doing well, he'd be really MVP. He'd be right there with whoever's MVP candidates now. Yes. Yeah. He, I mean, he's the only reason that they're even in any sort of contention in the playoffs right now. Yeah, uh, and I'm not trying to take away from anybody else. Our guy Malik's having a terrific year and. And they've got guys playing, but hey, when your best player, uh, your Anthony is supposed to be their best player right now, and when he's not, and then you got Russell, who's also, you know, he's he's trying to find his way. A bad fit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Who do you think is is MVP here at the halfway point? Man, I, that, that's that's hard. I, you know, part of me wants to say Demar Derozan. Uh, because he's never been in the conversation before. And what he's doing right now is just phenomenal. Uh, you know, over 35 or 37 a game, above 50% shooting in like, you know, seven or eight straight. That's that's insane. I think nobody's ever done that before. Like zero bodies. Right. So so uh, he's having a great year. They're having a, 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 a terrific year. I think Chris Paul has to be in the conversation. I mean, with what the Phoenix Suns are doing, he's never really been in the conversation. Of course, Stefan. Of course, Giannis. Of course, Joel Embiid. Um, God, what know, he's and, doing and, now. And, and, and KD. KD's just missed – he's missed a lot of games. But, yeah, Joel, uh, yeah, I, I got to give it to him. That dude took a lot of shit his first few years from guys like Shaq and guys like uh, Charles to – you know, be more, uh, go down, play in the post, impose your will, just beat people up. And to his credit, he took that. He yeah. took that and he's doing work now. He's gotten uh, himself in shape. He plays every single night. I mean, um, yeah, so you can't throw him out or Giannis. Um, but it's, think- it, it's one of those things I, I see Joel now playing and I'm like I have to watch because this is him at a height of his powers yeah I mean he's been hurt a lot and he, he yeah he's been prone to being injured right this is one of the best health spans he's had he's in shape and this is him this is a year you would say oh you want to see what a great big yeah. you'd say this year you know he's he's as athletic as he'll ever be he's not on the downside yeah um and the things he's doing the this, this, what a freak athlete! I know. spin moves and shooting and, and pull step ups, back. And step backs. He's bringing the ball up the floor. It's I mean, crazy. It's just you know, a lot of us want him to be Shaq like, you know. Mm-hmm. We, but Shaq didn't do that. I mean, Shaq could get it on occasion and go mm-hmm. coast to coast and do it. 
I mean, the guy brings it up the floor with pace and he, you know, he gets you into your offense. And then, you know, to talk about his maturity, you know, he just went in, they went, Milwaukee just went in, or I'm sorry, Philly just went into Milwaukee a night or two ago and he destroyed them. Got a win on the road against the defending champs, got 40 some, uh, you're you you're feeling pretty good about yourself going into the break uh, yeah. when you've yeah. done that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If he can stay healthy, it's it's fun to watch. It, that's you know um, what's the uh, what was the uh, center that came out of Ohio State? Uh, Greg Greg Oden. Greg Oden. Right now, you look at Zion, and he's there's two paths. Yeah, and hopefully he gets it in and gets in shape and and goes the Embiid way. Yeah. There's, there's a Greg Oden path. It, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with that you know, kid. I'm glad you brought that up because, uh, you know, and look at all three of those guys. All three of them were extraordinarily big at, young age, at a young age. Probably got to college, still growing some. You know, mm-hmm. J- Joel, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zion, a huge human being as a young person Mm -hmm. then they start maturing and you've got to imagine that you know that (laughs) these are gigantic human beings and they're they're performing a job running up and down a court on spindly little ankles and come on so i think that that there are some growing things that go on tyler hero missed almost a whole thing he's still growing when he got to the league he missed you know a ton of time last year i think something I, yes, I think some of it is growing stuff. The thing with Zion, uh, I think we talked about it recently, you know, over Zion or over, yeah, over Zion's first two years, he's played like the same number of games Joel did right. and B That's did I mean. in his first two years. So you just hope that that he can get physically healthy. Obviously, something's wrong with his foot. You're not talking about another foot surgery if it's not. But so, Joel, wasn't his mostly foot? His, and his Odin. Foot I mean, I think he was just a huge yeah. human being with that kind of torque and power. I mean, it seems like the foot is the place that's like can't, you know, rather than ankles or a t- yeah. the foot can't take it. It, it. Well, it just it's got nowhere else to go. Uh, you know, you're not gonna you're it's gonna break your foot down. You gotta have metal put in there. We think about our guy Sam Bowie. Yeah, Sam well, Bowie. Sam broke his shin time and time again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, metal and screws and all that. These guys oh, are the worst. He breaks that he's oh, yeah. out all that time. And then he breaks the other one the same way yeah. where you where you realize then it wasn't just a freak accident. It's it's physiology. It's biometrics. It's yeah. It, your body can't take your yeah. explosion and movement with that big of a body. Yeah. Human body's just not meant to do it for that long, you know, at that at that rate. But awfully, awfully, awfully fortunate. I hope I hope Zion can get healthy. Um, you know, Josh, we ought to get to our guest. Want to do I'd that? Love to. We have today. He's an NBA analyst for ESPN and SiriusXM NBA Radio. Also, former NBA three point champ. And the number seven most accurate three-point shooter in NBA history. I'm a shooter. We have a maker on the show. We have <laughs> Timothy Eugene Legler. What's up, Tim? What up, man? Hey, listen, 
you, you, that's a high percentage I shot, but you know what? When I, when you could jump like you, man. You could get above the rim, and you had some easier finishes than I did. So I couldn't jump like that. So I had you to learn how to shoot plenty. it a little bit better. That's all. You could shoot it plenty, man. But Rex uh, was saying, too, he was saying before we got on here, he, he was like, Eckler, he had a shooter, but he was athletic. You were, you know, you know people think of you shoot, but you, you, could you, run. you could go. You know, listen, the truth is this. We all know this. Like, basically, if you're a white guard, you're never going to get credit for being an athlete. It's just the way it is. So um, I always considered myself a good athlete. I was strong. I was always in great shape. I could run. You know, I wasn't a guy that played above the rim very much, but I was, you know, more athletic than you're given credit for. So I think what happens is that when you get to the NBA, uh, you understand you're going to be put into a specific role and you're going to do that great. And you're going to accept the fact that people are going to assume you can't do certain things. The truth is everybody gets to that level, did everything as a college player. Then you get yeah. to the pros and the only guys that do that are the stars. Everybody else better find one thing that you do great. Uh, you know, better than everybody else in the world. So that's kind of the truth. Yeah, I always felt I was a good athlete, but you, you just never really get a lot of credit for that. The Rex Chapman Show is sponsored by Ticket Smarter. Ticket Smarter helps customers from all walks of life experience the power and excitement of live events by giving back through children's charities and creating helpful partnerships. One dollar from every transaction will help our charitable partners, including St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital, the V Foundation, Quarterback and Children's Health Foundation, and Coach to Cure MD. Ticket Smarter is the official ticket resale partner of PBR, NJCAA, and over 35 collegiate conferences with 250 plus universities, including the Pac 12. While I'm here in Brooklyn, I could catch a Nets game or any of the concerts coming to the Barclays Center. Buying with Ticket Smarter is quick, easy, and 100% guaranteed tickets. Find tickets to more than 125,000 concerts, sports, and theater events. Order now. Well, you, you certainly were. Uh, growing up, you know, as a little kid, was your plan to be a baseball player? You grew up playing Little League for your dad, and I know you, baseball is a passion of yours. 100%, so, man. Uh, like, uh, my dad was a baseball coach for 30 years. He, he coached my brother all the way through. He got a hold of me at a young age, you know, seven, eight. That's all I knew really was baseball. And that my my dream from about eight, nine, ten years old was I'm playing in the major leagues. There was no question in my mind. And when we moved from Baltimore to Richmond when I was 12, we specifically chose an area to live because we went to the team, uh, Tucker High School in Richmond, Virginia, that was basically you know, the Boston Celtics of the 60s as it was uh, high school baseball in the in the 80s. They won a state championship every year. We specifically wow. targeted that area so I could go play in that program. Um, and we won two state championships in four years. And so that was my thing. And, and basketball really didn't come around until I was like 14 because I hit a huge growth spurt. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to give it a shot. And, man, by the end of my freshman year, I pretty much was addicted to really. Who because the thing I loved it? about it was you didn't need anybody else to get better. You know, baseball, mm -hmm. you know, somebody's going to have to hit your ground balls. You're going to have to go out there, get somebody to shag them for you. You're going to need to get to a batting cage. You know, basketball, it was, you know, a hoop, sneakers, and a ball. I don't need a single soul. I can be out here as long as I want to. And I had a very obsessive work yeah. ethic. So once 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 I discovered that, I, honestly, that's really why I fell in love with the game. It was funny because my baseball coach, 
we'd be at baseball practice. You know, this is the best team in the state of Virginia, and I'm, I'm there playing. And we'd finish practice, and I would keep my uniform, baseball uniform on. I would switch from cleats to sneakers, and I would go up, and we had this, this huge outdoor basketball complex not far from the high school, and I'd go right down there in my baseball uniform, and I'd play pickup ball until 10 o'clock at night. That's and my great. baseball coach used to hate it. Oh, he used to go. <laughs> His southern accent, Ligger, get off that damn basketball court. We got we got regionals this week. You know, he'd be screaming at me, man. He'd literally come to the courts and heckle me to get off the court. But I had that bug, man. I got addicted to the game, and that was that. You should have just that- worn your baseball uniform everywhere. Yeah. Just, stop. <laughs> yeah. just wore it. You can go bowling. You've got it. You're a yeah. dinner. <laughs> That's great, man. That just great. change your shoes. Wait, totally once I got good. one of those uh, state championship jackets, I definitely wore that thing everywhere. Oh, I'm everywhere. sure. Oh, I'm yeah. sure. Did you, did you, before you hit the growth spurt, you, you played basketball, right? Yes. You had played, so, yep. but were you a sniper at, before you hit the growth spurt? Oh, or no, did, not at did all. It, be, it came later? Yeah. The one thing I will say, because I didn't really play other than like literally at like recess at school mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. i mean occasionally really? i'd get in a little pickup game in the neighborhood the driveway a little bit until i was like 14 i never really started to take it seriously so i had not really shot a basketball or learned how to at a young age so by the time i started to shoot and get reps in i was copying my favorite players in the nba so i had no bad habits you know, I could all. I was big enough and strong enough that the first time I really got serious, you know, I had the ball here. I wasn't bringing it from my waist. Yeah, I wasn't yeah. doing all of that stuff. So I really think, in a way, it kind of helped me because I was able to develop a mechanics early. And I had a great high school coach that literally, man, I, you know, he he passed away um, over the course of the last two years during COVID. Oh, he passed away. Literally a second father to me. He was the guy that when he found out he had this player in his program that was obsessive about getting better, he was the guy, you know, literally going there, meeting me at the gym, 9, 10 o'clock at night, rebounding me for two hours, working and perfecting my mechanics. So really I think it happened over the course of probably uh, summer after ninth grade into probably by the end of 10th grade. That whole year is when I really developed into a real shooter and then it was a matter of you know extending range and working on the rest of my game my handle and all of those things well you had to be uh you hadn't practiced it but besides being an obsessive worker i mean your hand eye that's a gift from from god and you had that and then you perfected it what is since you loved baseball like what position did you play and what i bet you could really hit I was it's funny. I was a shortstop and, and a relief wow. pitcher. I could I could th- I could throw the ball you know, in the high eighties, low nineties in high school. So I was like, wow. But that's all I threw. I you know so <laughs> so I had like three three pitches. You know, fast, faster, and fall down fast. <laughs> so that's that's really all I had. So so I was the, I would come in and in, in, in American Legion ball in, in high school. I, I, that's pretty much all I did. But I was a shortstop. If, ironically, what happened was I was a shortstop my entire life. And going into my junior year of high school, we had an issue with the third baseman was having a hard time. And he was he was having a hard time with his throws to first. So they literally made this shift. They put him 
second base. They slid the second baseman over to short, and I moved over to third for my last two years of high school. And, man, did I love playing third base. I played up in the grass. I had, oh. like, lightning quick reflexes. So, I mean, I just loved how quick the ball got on me from there. Um, so that's that's what I played. And I think do think pitching and throwing out a target was something I had a knack for early. I agree with what you said. I've changed my thinking on it over the years about uh, teaching shooting, and I do a lot of it with my camps and all the teams I've coached in AAU and individual training I've done. I do think there's a certain element you have to be born with, depth perception and the ability to adjust on distances. Because I've worked with kids that I got their mechanics to the point where literally it looked like mine and the damn ball never went in (laughs) because – they didn't have that innate sense yeah. for distance, you know, and they just couldn't ever get their body no matter how much they practice. So I do, I do agree. I think there's yeah. a large part of that is innate uh, understanding of hand eye and depth perception and that kind of stuff that you really have a hard time teaching. Yeah. But that's like, it, it's, it's neglected when we talk about ath- athleticism. And that is, you know, the hand eye is as important as anything, but we always think about explosive leapers and whatnot. Right. But that is athleticism that, you know, you can't in the same okay, you can teach someone how to ch- jump, but, yeah. you know, like try this and do leg, but thank on beat Zion. Touch, touch is a whole different thing. I mean, we, we see it all the time. Uh, if you, you, Touch is something you have or you really don't have. You, yeah, can, you're, you, you know, know you can funny, get better. It's funny how it actually then correlates to some of the <laughs> stuff you do in real life. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm a sniper on a beer pong table. I'll tell you right now, I'm, I'm a hell of a bag old <laughs> player. Like I'm a good corn old player. <laughs> yeah. I can throw darts. Like I, I do think there's a Same. correlation between taking an object and hitting another object and, and, you know, the distance and touch. And especially if you've never done it, like you'll see somebody that's a natural that's never done something, try it. How quickly they they figure it out because their body just has a a way. And I I do, so I do think, I do think you're right. It is, it's a part of the game that should be, um, you know, listed as an athletic trait, but it typically isn't. We think run, jump, start, stop, accelerate, that being mm-hmm. athletic ability. But I think that's a huge component, too. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Um, it's a, a, a real, just to piggyback yeah. on that, because I like to ask people that are elite in that regard. We've had a lot of great shooters on here. And I like to ask, was there a time growing up when you were like, you know, like, Mom, how come I never lost at darts? Mom, how come I'm the best at – what's going on? Was there a time where you're like, I just um, really good at everything? I think that probably like, I think because of my success with baseball at an early age, I was always playing from the time I was literally six, seven years old. I was always playing with kids two and three years older than me. Like I was seven years old playing in a 10 year old little league, you know? And I think you start to realize at that time, like you got a knack for it. It comes pretty naturally to you. Baseball was so natural to me because I mean, my father, because he was a coach, you know, I just remember him, you know, three years old, we're out there and and he's, he's teaching me all the fundamentals of the game and properly how to field a ground ball and how to swing a bat and shift your weight and rotate your hips and all the little details that, you know, 
you, you now I passed on to like my children and, and kids that I coach. It's when you get them when they're young, man, does it matter? And so baseball for me, by the time I was that age, yeah, you kind of had already developed that basketball was it when I first started playing, you know, I didn't have a lot of success shooting it. It wasn't going in a lot, but I, I was obsessed with figuring out how to make that happen. Yeah. And, and then, like I said, it, I always tell people when I, I give a lot of talks on shooting and stuff, and I say I, I I would challenge anybody to find anywhere that you can that shot more shots than I shot from age of 14 until probably, you know, through college once I got into and became a pro. Um, I just don't know anybody that lived in a gym the way I did in high school. Certainly nobody in my area or none of the guys I played with, you know? So, um, well, it's, Tim, it's, I, I believe, and, and for you to say that, cause we, I don't think we really knew how, well, analytics hadn't become a, a real bit. Look, I was considered a three point shooter. I struggled to make 35%. You shot 40% at a time, man, when, that was elite, elite, and and it's and it still is, um, you know. And I and to your point about you know learning when you're little. I remember going and watching my dad's uh, coach high school basketball, and you know I, by the time I was five, I could dribble behind my back. Right. And so exactly. uh, you know when you grow up, it, it's easier to learn it when you don't think you're learning something. Absolutely. And then you know, it translates. Later, I, you know, I grew up in a small town in Kentucky, a rural part of the part of the country. And but I I think you're a couple years ahead of me in high school. But I went to five star going into my senior year uh, in at Robert Morris College. Yeah. And uh, we had a great had a great week. But I left five star and I'd been seen by Garf, Howard Garfinkel. And from that point on, I was, you know, uh, an all American. I was going to, you know, they, but five star did that because 100%. I went there, I went there and I'd been doing what I did at home. I dominated there and that, but that kind of showed me that, okay, these are the best out here and I can hold my own with them. And I understand you went to five star as well, right? I did. And it's funny you said that because that to, for me was really a life-changing event to go there because I was at, I was at a school in Richmond, Virginia. That time Richmond was not a highly recruited area. It is now. It wasn't then. Um, and like our team, I didn't have another guy on my team that really cared that much about it. Right. <laughs> and it used to drive me insane. Yeah, I, I, almost, I almost got into a few fights in practice because it just didn't matter as much to them. And it was everything to me. And it was hard for wow. them to relate to me because of that. Right. So I, you know, here we are, we're, we're basically, you know, a 500 type program in, in Richmond. It's not recruited. And at that time, Rex, the difference between today's player and then to get to five star, yeah. you had to already be something as a high school player. Right. Mm -hmm. And now you get to go to five star. Whereas now, I mean, you got you got an AAU team, you know, every six square miles in the country. You can be seen. You can exactly. be seen. You go to tournaments on the weekend. You play five games. You got 100 coaches in the gym. It, it was different then. So you had to get to five-star, and that was my goal. And I went up there, same thing. Went up there, and you know, remember they had the waiters. So Oh, yeah. yeah. You had the top 20 players in the camp where the guys at the mess hall were literally waiting on the table. But it was such a status thing. You're watching these guys walk around, man. You're reading Street and Smiths, right? And you're going, damn, like these are the guys you're reading about. 
And then you get on the court, and I'll never forget that week playing against a Jeff Lebo, okay, yeah. who was playing at Carlisle, PA with Billy That's Elliott. Right. That's right? right. He was a legend. I mean, this guy was mythical. We, we, play, we played together in, uh, for Team USA, Jeff and I. Oh, there you go. Love so it. Love him. He was a he was a mythical high school figure, right? In fact, yeah. at the five star camp, I'll never forget this. Mike Fratello gave a shooting demonstration, and he goes, hey, "Jeff, where's Jeff Lebo at?" Calls this kid up, and I'm going, "Wow, man!" They called this dude out. He goes up there. <laughs> so, so now we're I'm playing against Jeff that week, and I'm kind of going, "All right." And you, you were know, bigger. I, you were probably bigger, right? I was bigger. I I I, I was definitely stronger. You know, and he was at Carolina. Jeff, Jeff was strong, man. He was. And Jeff, listen, Jeff Jeff scored, if I recall, and this might be one of those things that's urban legend, but way was the way I understood it, he broke his right wrist going into the state championship playoffs his senior year and scored 40-something points based on his left hand. I mean, that's what – that this is the guy that now I'm, – I'm here, right? And here yeah. he is in front of me. The, now, fast forward, junior year at LaSalle, we play Carolina. They come into the Palestra in Philly. They got Kenny Smith, yeah. J.R. Reed, Jeff Lebo, Dave Popson, Joe Wolf. Um, squad. A squad. They had like seven, eight guys end up playing yeah. in the NBA. We play them at the Palestra. And I, I had, I think I had 27 points in that game. Jeff had like, you know, Jeff had probably like 10. And I remember after the game, John Nash, who was general manager for the Sixers, was a comment in the Philadelphia Daily News. He basically said, if you took Tim Legler and swapped him with Jeff Lebo and put Tim Legler in North Carolina and put Jeff Lebo South, nobody would know the difference because like Legler's like that good of a player. So, and that started with me playing against him at five star. You know, Billy King, wow. Billy King was there. I remember guarding me one game. Billy King ended up being the defensive player. Defensive of the year. player of the year. Yeah. And now he's guarding me, and I'm you know, and I'm having some success. And so these guys that were so built up. You know, you read about him and heard about him, and now here they are in front of you. It was validation that I can do this. I can play at that level, and I swear that week legitimately changed my life because I came over that. If I, you thought I was obsessive before that, you should have seen <laughs> when I got home from Five Star. That's and great. that's when I first, for the first time, started thinking about playing in the NBA. Wow. Amazing. Uh, you never really heard of LaSalle before uh, you were recruited by, was it Left Irvin? Lefty Irvin. And his, and, and his staff reached out. What 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 about what about what was it about seeing their games at the Palestra that made you want to go to school there? Yeah, I'd never stepped foot in Philly. I, you know, my visits were to, I went to University of Virginia on a visit. I went to Richmond. I went to Virginia Tech. I went to Princeton. UVA and, was know, my I, dream. Virginia was my dream school growing up because. Oh, really? Yeah, because because my dad coached Jeff Jones, who was Ralph's point guard, sure, right? Yeah, at, at, at Apollo, and then so like if they would have recruited me early, I'd have, yes, I'm going. But then I realized also it's pretty tough academic school. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. You know, my, right. my circumstances were were unusual because I I skipped second grade. Okay, so oh, you see, Josh, I told you he was going to make us feel shitty about ourselves. Mm -hmm. Ward's Business <laughs> no, School, Academic All-American. It's the worst thing my ever did. Skip grades. <laughs> yeah, I know. This is, that's kind of a theme here, Tim. Yeah. Like we feel like shit after every pod because you're losers <laughs> and you're winners. No, it's, it's, listen, can you imagine? Now, like, all right, so and we'll get to this in a second, too. I've had interesting life circumstances with, you know, I have a 26-year-old daughter. My son will turn 23 in a few weeks. And I got a 12 week old son. 
Oh, okay. hey. So, so I got another coming through the pipeline. Um, yeah, but good. my son, I joke it with other people all the time. Like my, my son that I just had, he's not going to kindergarten until he's 13. Right? <laughs> right. Because, because that's the way it works now. <laughs> he's going to be 13 years old in kindergarten. He's going to, I'm going to hold him back in eighth grade. He's going to prep school and then he's going to redshirt. So he's going to be 27 year old freshman and he's going to be doing his thing because my parents like, so I skipped saying, right. As a result, I was a young 17 graduating high school. So Virginia offered me and just like Virginia tech and I think Ohio state, and, and they were the main three schools. And you know what they all said? We're going to offer you, but you 100% have to redshirt your freshman year to, 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 to pick up that year. Now, Rex, yeah, knowing what I know now, that's the, that's the easiest decision. Absolutely. But telling that to somebody, yeah. you say, wait a second, I got to sit out a year? Yeah. Like, no chance. So right. I went to LaSalle on the visit. And really, you know, what turned me was I loved the coaching staff and I connected with them. And then my dad really became best friends with – with their staff, but more than anything, it was the palestra. It was a doubleheader. It was 10,000 people sitting on top of you. It was Nova LaSalle again. And then it was Temple St. Joe's doubleheader. And that year, the next year, Nova won the national championship. All four teams were ranked in the top 25 when I was a freshman. So this is the level of basketball we're talking about. And all these schools are within 10 miles of each other. And I'm like halfway through the game, I turned to my parents and I said, this is exactly the environment I want to play in. So by the time that was over with, I was ready to commit. And Thanks obviously God. look, those other campuses blew you away. And the, the bu- athletic budgets and where the guys lived and ate. LaSalle didn't have any of that stuff. What they had was a really rich basketball tradition. It was a great business school, which I was interested. It was a Catholic school, which was important to my parents. Add it all up, sign me up. So I got to play one of the greatest basketball environments in the country for four years at the Palestra. Wow. Did you, did you think about uh, playing baseball also? Actually, I th- it's, it's funny you say that. I forgot to mention that. So there was only a handful of schools that would let me play both sports. LaSalle was one of them. In fact, Lefty Irvin, the guy that recruited me, played both sports at LaSalle. So he understood it. So here I was. I was ready to go. Finished my uh, freshman year in basketball. I had a very good year. The last game of the season in the conference tournament, I got a stress fracture in my foot. Mm. So I was out for the spring. I went home that summer to Richmond. I played American Legion baseball because I was so young. I had one more year of Legion ball in me. And the funny wow. part, that was the best I ever played in my life because I finally had a year of weight training under my belt at college. That. So the ball was just jumping off my back. Yeah. So I was I was excited to get back there. Something happened by the time I got up there in the fall that year with, with basketball was coming along so well. I just decided, man, I said, I got to commit to one. Yeah. And I just loved it more. I just always loved practice more than I did baseball practice. And my dad was heartbroken because he didn't I know bet. much about basketball. He really didn't. And he was heartbroken. And he he's so funny. So I retired from the NBA at 33 after having some knee injuries. My dad was like, you know, still know some scouts. Could call some people up, you know. I'm like, <laughs> Like, that's what he believed. Like, he was like, yeah. no, you can, you can, it's not too late. You can pull the oh. Tim Tebow thing. And I'm like, yeah. come on. So I was like, no, but so it was, it was heartbreaking to him. Oh. Uh, but I, I, listen, I chased my dreams and it was a different path than a lot of guys, certainly than, than a guy of your stature coming out. I had to oh, go undrafted Europe, CBA, 10 day contracts, you know, 
a lot of heartache, and then finally got a huge break in in Dallas picking me up in midseason. And and the best thing they did was change everything for me. Was they said, "We're not very good. We need shooting. We're we're not considering you here on a ten day contract. You're going to play here the rest of the year, and you're going to you're going to let you play through mistakes." We got. I never forget. Brad Davis was the and Gar Hurd were the interim coaches. They fired Richie Adubato, and they said their exact term was, "We're it's sink or swim time." We need to find out if you're an NBA player because we know you shoot it at that level. And I'm telling you, man, to go out there and know you could miss shots and not get yanked, you know, you could get beat without coming out of the game. You know, you could didn't have to be super cautious with your passing because you're afraid of turning the ball over to just play. And I it's amazing, man. I shed all the baggage that was on my back. I put so much pressure on myself and man, the game became easy and I, I proved I could play and I spent the next, you know, 10 years in the league. Let me ask you, that's so interesting. So you came out undrafted, you go to Europe for a couple of years, you played in the CBA, you led it in scoring. Did you become markedly better those three years or, or, and then you hooked on to the NBA and had a great career uh, or did it just those three years is what you needed to go to, to find the opportunity. Was it you got better or did it you had to go that route to until you finally found your way in? It's a tremendous question. It's obviously, you know, I would say a combination of both, right? So certainly you improved during that time. But for me, if I put a percentage on those two categories, was it opportunity and someone believing in me or my improvement? I would say 20% of that was improving as a player, primarily in my range and my handle and 80% of it was just being free. You know, when you, when you try to play and you have all the pressure in the world, you're putting on yourself to play perfectly because you're going to go on a 10 day or you're in training camp and you know, you're battling out for the last spot, or you got to beat somebody out. That's got a guaranteed contract. Or now you're, you're actually on a roster in a 10 day and you get thrown into a game and you're like, wait, they, you know, I'm a shooter. Got to make every shot. This is literally the mentality. You can't play basketball that way. And that's where I was. And then when, when those guys said that to me in that hotel room, I'll never forget it. And I let, walked out of the room. I went down to my hotel room, getting ready to go to the game at night to, to play my first game for the Dallas Mavericks. I have never felt more liberated. I was like I literally unleashed. As you're saying it, I can, I can feel it. I can feel it for you. You know, it, people don't understand confidence. They don't yes. understand uh, a lot. Some people, a lot of people, maybe not don't understand confidence. You know, Stephen Curry, best shooter in the world, best shooter we've ever seen. He'll go through a three, three game period and go, you know, two for 19. And, mm-hmm. and he's just lost his confidence for a few days. It, it's, it's so fragile, but I, to your point, you know, I played on some bad teams as a young player and that was the reason I was getting minutes. You know, I was able to play through my mistakes. We were going to get beat anyway. Me, Del Curry, Muggsy Bogues, we were getting our heads bashed in every single night. But And it's awfully hard to have offensive confidence when you're getting your ass busted on the other end. And you're probably going to come out if you if the guy scores again, right? Yeah, 100%. Or you commit, yeah. you, commit you know, two fouls, you're coming out. Or yeah, out. You, get beat, you get beat baseline one time. By some, you know, elite level athlete, by the way. Drexler. You know, and, yeah, he dunks the right. Right. Cla- Clyde right. De- Drexler crossed me up and dunks on me, right? On the baseline. 
And, and now you're coming out and you're going, well, wait a second. He just dunked on the other dude that was playing for me twice. You know, but, no. but the margin for error is so small when you're in that category. So, you know, so that happened in Dallas. Then I went to Golden State. But honestly, what really changed, I'm a free agent after that year in Golden State and Washington. Two Philly guys knowing me so well from playing there. Jimmy Lynham was the head coach. Those are my guys, Jimmy and John Nash. And John Nash, right? Yeah. And they're Philly guys, so they're very familiar with me. And they knew that, hey, okay, so I shot 52% from the three that year in Golden State. And they're like – 52. And they needed shooting. So they, they, I went to meet with them that summer, came in, and here's what really changed. I'm in training camp, and Jimmy was like, you know, knew I could shoot, and, and I was shooting the ball well and everything. So that was obvious to them, okay, this guy's got a role in our team. And, man, did we have a front line. And we had, we had Chris Weber, Rasheed Wallace, Juwan Howard, Ben Wallace, and George Marison on the same team. That was our front line. So they needed shooting, especially Weber, as many double teams as he got. But midway through camp, Jimmy Lynham came up to me at practice and he put his arm around me and he said, let's take a walk. We start walking. And he said, you know, I knew you were a shooter. You're a hell of a lot more than that. He goes, we win. You win games with guys like you on the court. He goes, you can do everything. Well, you guard. Well, you pass. Well, you make great decisions. You shoot it. You're competitive as hell. You know, he's like, he's like, you're going to have a bigger role here than we thought going in. And as it turned out, I mean, I played, off the bench, I played about 24 minutes a game that year. I, I was always on the floor closing out fourth quarters. Um, yep. And it was my breakthrough year. That's the year I led the league in three-point shooting and won the three-point shooting. And he, his confidence in me and having that conversation with me, Rex, and it's what we were just talking about, isn't yeah. it amazing the psychology of the sport? Because everybody is so close talent-wise. Some guys, you, you know, become household names. Other guys struggle. Why? Yep. A lot of it opportunity and having that guy that matters believe in you and 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 man and then unfortunately at the end of that year I was 29 years old on top of the world and I shredded my knee in uh, game 81 that season uh, so I was one game away from going home for the summer we just got eliminated from the postseason the night before we won like seven straight games late so now we're like a game out of the eight spot we get beat the night before we're eliminated. We're playing the Celtics at home. My daughter was just born, my, my first child. Like, I'm on top of the world, man. You like the, just won the three-point contest. The battle that I fought to get there and feel that good. Now I'm almost to the summer and going to be a free agent and, mm-hmm. and three ligaments at the same time. And mm-hmm. I played four more years. I never came close to feeling right. And I retired at 33 years old when I had – I should have had 10 years from yeah. that point of playing and shooting the basketball at a high level for somebody. And yeah. I've done by 33. And uh, so it, it was the rug got pulled out at the end of that journey, but damn, thank God I, I got to that point because of how much I'll put into it. Man. See, that, just for a- someone that obsesses so yeah. much like that and, and play, you know, and your hobby is working and going and do, doing that. How tough was it for you to your body's injured and you, you can't go out there. And do that brutal stuff. and then when i came back uh so they told me it was 12 to 15 months because i tore three ligaments and that was in feb that was in sorry that was in um april so i'm thinking all next year's out for sure and it's i'm a free agent now yeah. washington signed me to a four-year deal so or a three-year contract so 
they they believed in me even while I was hurt that I could get wow. back to that level. Okay, so that was good. I so I got some financial security. Yeah. Now I could now I could. But here's the thing, I, I, and I regret this. I pushed myself so hard in physical therapy because you know, a guy like me. Yeah. All I ever thought was somebody's taking my job. Yeah. So yeah. so now here I am. It's February the following year. So you're talking ten months later. They told me twelve to fifteen. <laughs> I took the court again for the first time. Right after the All-Star break, I actually defended my three-point title with a, with a knee brace on just right. after to play that weekend. That's I had not right. played the game yet. And, in fact, the Forgot organization was talking to me, and they're like, well, you know, should you go when you haven't played yet? And I said, well, listen, I got cleared, and it's just shooting jump shots. I mean, you know, so yeah. they let me go, and I got to the finals. I lost to Kerr in the finals that second year. I come back. First two, three games, man, I feel great. I'm playing great. I got this heavy Britain brace on, though. And I, I, I'm boxing out on a free throw in New Jersey. I think it was my third game. And the ball kicks off the rim, and it goes toward the corner. And I go over there. And you know how you kind of shield everybody, let it go yeah. out because it's going to be our ball? Mm-hmm. And Jason Williams, the net Jason Williams. Not, big not, Jason. Yeah, yeah not, big Jason. Uh, not yep. the point guard, the big yep. guy, dives yep. on the dives to try to save it. And dives dead on the back of my knee. And I go down. I felt something crunch. Had all kinds of stuff break loose. Uh, and I end up missing the rest of the year. So I had, I had about, what, 25, 30 games to go to get my feet wet, which would have set me up for the next season. For the now, next year. I'm out for the year. Come back the following camp, and I'm feeling great. I mean, camp, we got a new coach. Bernie Bickerstaff's now our yep. coach. First day of training camp, first two practices, I might have been the best player in the gym. I felt so good. I shot it so good. Bernie was all over me. This is great. The next morning, we're scrimmaging, and we're running full speed on the floor, and there's a turnover, and I plant and to just plant, stop, and backpedal, and I completely, like, tear, like, not just a Everything, little yeah. a hamstring oh on the same leg. So now I'm out till like, <sighs> February. So – and then by the time I came back, I, I didn't. I was tentative. Bernie had kind of lost faith in me a little bit. Yeah. I was shelved. I wasn't playing. And then I had two more years where it was kind of like that. And uh, and that was that was unfortunate that that's how it all ended at the end of that it, journey. But it really is. And I I, I appreciate you sharing it. I'm, my heart just bleeds for you. I was I was hurt a lot. Uh, but there just comes a point, you know, where you're you're working, you're rehabbing so much and playing so little. Yes, that 100%. the trade-off, the trade-off becomes just and and you and for conscientious guys, conscientious players who, you know, you're being paid to do a job and you're being paid well and it's fun. Uh, when you can't be out there, it it's it does a uh, it can do a real job on your mind. Oh, uh, I my, can only imagine. Yeah, my que- my question, I guess, off of that, you work so hard to get, you know, to that point of getting back and becoming a, a, a solid, steady, you know, dependable rotation guy in the NBA, how long after, you know, that hammy and, and you're done with playing, did you start uh, to begin, you know, sort of working on your second career, which has been going on now for a couple of decades. Yeah. Uh, uh, when did you start doing that? You're fantastic at it. You've had one job forever and nobody does that. So when did you start doing that? Well, I appreciate all of that. And it's an, it's an interesting story because it certainly isn't what I intended. I, uh, 
I finished up my career in Golden State my last year, went out there specifically to play for P.J. Carlissimo. This is a 99-2000 season. And he got fired right around Christmas, so early in the year. And he's the reason I went. So now, as to your point, at that time, I'm taking an hour to get ready to practice, okay? I'm practicing <laughs> yeah. for an hour and a half, and I'm taking two hours after to, 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 to treat my yeah. knee. And now the guy I went to play for is gone. So literally, I have this epiphany. Driving to practice in out in Oakland, and I literally pulled off the road, pulled into a parking lot somewhere, and called my agent and said, I, I can't do this anymore. Wow. I just can't do this anymore. Um, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. This is wearing, this has worn my yeah. my my soul yeah. has worn it to, you know, just grind it to a stub. Yeah. I said, I just I this is not fun. This is not enjoyable. Um and I got other things I could I want to do in my life. But guess what? It wasn't broadcasting. So the first thing I did, because I didn't know what I wanted to do, yeah. uh, I went home back to, to the Jersey area, Philly area. And I was like, you know what? I'm first thing I'm going to do, because I had a couple more years coming from Golden State, right? So they're going to pay me out over two years. I'm like, I got some time here to figure this out. I decided I'm going to go get my master's degree. And instead of just going and getting a normal one, like, you know, most people would do, I'm an idiot. So <laughs> I decide, no, you know what? I'm going to go to Wharton. So I'm going to try to get into Wharton. And so they're like, I call them up and they're like, we have an executive program every other weekend for two years and a hundred people let in 10,000 applicants. They're like, we've already got our class filled, but you're such an interesting background and we want diversity. They only had one other athlete in the history of the program. Wow. They said, Here's the thing. You got to take the GMAT this week and you have to get this score. The Rex Chapman Show, powered by Basketball News, is sponsored by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the easy way to play daily fantasy. It's daily fantasy simplified. It's just you versus the projected numbers, Josh. You can pick from two up to five players and an over-under on their projected stats for a single game and win up to 10 times on any entry. Prize Picks is safe and offers fast withdrawals, Josh. I like the sound of this. I like the sound of this. Well, Prize yes, Fix allows mixed sports entries, offering every sport you can think of. Your Prize Fix entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. You can take the over on John Morant's points and the under on Anthony Davis's rebounds if you want. You can receive a match on your deposits up to $100 using our exclusive promo code NEWS. That's promo code NEWS for an instant 100% deposit match on up to $100. So hold on, Price that's pick. program code NEWS, N-E-W-S, like the news on TV? That's promo code NEWS for an instant 100% deposit match on up to $100. Guess what else? Prize Picks has an award-winning, easy-to-use mobile app available in the App Store and Google Play. So I go to – I'll never forget this. I go to Barnes & Noble, and I get practice tests on a disc. I pop them in. I take some practice exams. I'm like 200 points short of what they said I had. <gasps> this is on like Monday. I took two, three of those tests a day. By Friday, when it's time to go take the test, because they gave me it, they said, you got to take this test by Friday. I went in, and at that point, I still was probably 100 points off of what they needed. And damn, if that day I didn't get the score by 10 points that I had to have. And next That's thing insane. I know, here I am. I'm in Wharton, and it starts the following weekend. So now 
I'm in a room with 100 people of the most accomplished. Because here's the thing. This is the executive program. So all of these people are super accomplished already. They're like, they want to be CEOs one day. Yeah. But right now, like one of the guys in my study group, he's the leading heart surgeon at the Bora Heart and Lung Center, but he wants to run the hospital. So he has to get <laughs> business experience, right? So these are the kind of, one guy was worked at NASA. That's Tim, before I forget, before we go, I just want to say, fuck you. <laughs> well, I'll tell you the story because I, this is, I was thinking like, all I was thinking was, was this is the, one of the funniest things that happened that first night, all hundred people had to stand up. They congratulate you. Each person tell us a little something about yourself. I'm sitting there and these guys are giving the credentials I just mentioned. Now here comes my turn. I stand up and I go, uh, my name's Tim Legler. I spent the last 10 years as a professional basketball player and I have two young children, and I have spent most of the day over the last two years pretending to be some type of animal for my children. And everybody in <laughs> the room bust out laughing. I said, so I don't even think I have a business being here right now, but I'm going to give it a shot. And I said, one thing I can promise you, none of y'all are going to outwork me. And anyway, I started laughing. And I sat down. I got through the program. But that was my goal. But right at the end wow. of it, I got a call from ESPN. They had seen some of the interviews I did in Washington with the George Michael machine and Tony yep. Kornheiser. Brought me up for an audition. Believe it or not, this is my 21st season uh, after that audition. Wow. And I'm still – I just signed a new deal in March for three years. So, hopefully Fantastic, I'll be here for Tim. longer. You're so good Buddy. at it. You're so good you at really it. Do are. you obsess – like, what's your preparation? Because you know the game. You know the stuff. You really just have to watch it. But you are a grinder. So yeah. you've got to grind. I can tell. So what do you do to prep for that kind of stuff? I think the difference with a guy like me, I'm not a Hall of Famer. So I can't just go out there and be funny. And I can't just go out there and, you know, and people just are interested because I'm a Hall of Famer. So I had to do a difference. So what I, I think what sets me apart a little bit is when I watch a game that I'm going to break down, I'm going to take 10, 12 pages of notes on the game. And the reason that's important is because when I when I find what I want to talk about, the first thing I'm looking for is something that I saw that nobody else is going to talk about. That's the mm. first thing. OK, yeah, a yeah. nuance, a nuance that mattered in the game. You know, and it might be an 8-0 run in the third quarter that turned it, that no one's going to even show a highlight from that set, from that section of the game. So that's the first thing. And then also by doing that, I can now tell the kid that's going to cut my tapes. This, these are the exact plays I want rather than handing yeah. it off to some kid that's going to cut tape that probably knows basketball. And you just go, Hey man, I thought offensive rebounding was a big key tonight. Can you go find me some of that? That's what a lot of people do. Yeah. And now you get a tape and you're watching at home. You're like, well, that's a mediocre breakdown. I give them specific plays for these Fantastic. reasons because I wrote down the time and score in the game. And now that kid can go and boom. He can cut the tape. We're even better now. They got the touchscreen capacity. Yeah. All I have to tell him is put these three plays together on a tape, and then they just hand it to me, and now I do the magic myself with the touchscreen. Um, but I think it really comes down to the note-taking and just desperately trying to find something that's going to educate people tonight about the game that they're not going to hear anywhere else. That's, that's really been my approach from the beginning. Fantastic. I can't help but – but just the hearing your background and hearing you speak and it's like it's inspiring in ways and so you've had to have thought about or considered coaching yes 100% and the only reason I didn't go into coaching when I got out of the league I got divorced right when I retired from the NBA I was 33 I had a five and a two-year-old that were everything to me and I was not ready to commit mm -hmm. that kind of time 
Num- mm-hmm. Number one and two, that means you might have to chase it wherever it takes you all yeah. over the country. And they were going to be based in Jersey, Philly. So it was just not a non, it was a non-starter for me. So that's what broadcasting allowed me all this freedom to raise them and be an involved and present father, which I was. But what happened now, they got older and I coached a lot of AAU, put a lot of kids in college to play. And I honed my skills, got tied into the recruiting, always thinking one day I'm going to be a division one coach. I want to run my own program more than anything in the world. My kids got older, got them through. I told my son I was not going to pursue it until he was done college. He graduated a couple of years ago. I then started throwing my hat into the ring. And I tell you, man, I'm frustrated because the search firms have really been a roadblock for me because they use the lack of ex- experience yeah. as if Rex 30 years associated yeah. with the NBA doesn't count for anything, I guess. But the search you've firms got the, have been you've a- got the same, by the way, you have the same, if not more experience than Penny Hardaway does right now. And I love Penny. I played with Penny. Penny coached AAU ball and then got the got the job at his old school. And you almost got the job at your old school. That I did. Kinda- it kind of ticked me off a bit. But, oh, Rex, um, it, was, it was, I'm still hurt by it. And, and honestly, yeah. it just, it really like, and the year before that, actually, I interviewed with Duquesne and I was the second person for that job. Now they hired in that situation, they hired a guy that had won 20 games at Akron a few times. So I was like, okay. And, he, and that's the same area. He had the recruiting base. I met that guy. The AD was really impressed by me, but he said, you know, it's my first hire here. And I understood that one. I did. LaSalle, <laughs> They haven't been good since I played there. Yeah. It's coach after coach, year after year of mediocrity, and and here I am wanting the job. I went in, yeah. I crushed the interview. What you paid them at that point? I'm sure. Oh, listen, you they end up listen. They end up hiring. They end up hiring a guy who was number one assistant at Villanova. Ashley Howard sat next to Jay Wright through a national championship run that year. I'm sitting there for three weeks watching that like everybody else. So's Lasalle AD. So they interviewed basically two people, me and him. And I wow. left the interview that day. I got in the car. My wife, I said, you know, there's no way they're not hiring me. I mean, that, there's just no way. And they hired Ashley. And look, I, I've known Ashley forever. I'm not going to, I'm not denigrating yep. anybody's coaching right. ability, but I'm, here's all I'm going to tell you. You make, you make, you make the, the uh, conclusion yourself. All right. As we sit here today, those two programs in the Atlantic 10, both of them, a good basketball conference. They are three and 22 combined in the conference this year. They are 13th Ooh, and 14th in the A-10. And I didn't have enough experience to get that job. But yeah. what I try to tell them was, listen, first of all, I, I had connected myself to recruiting through AAU, but more importantly, right. more importantly, you have to be able to talk to a person and understand that this guy just – he sees all 10 at the same time in a way yeah. that nobody else can. And I, I can communicate. I can inspire. I can motivate I turn myself into a player. I'm going to turn these kids into like all things you need. And, and it just it just fell on deaf ears because at the end of the day, they're terrified to hire someone that technically has not coached college basketball. Yeah. Well, I I'm uh I'm betting on Tim Legler if that's what he wants to do. <laughs> yeah, uh me that, too. That, 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 listen, that man, Rex, you got a lot, you got a fruition. lot of pull, man. Come hey, on, Rex. Right here. We're putting it out there. This man is ready. He's ready. Let's go. Um, well, you do. Me, you do still have a run a camp, though, right? Tim Legler. Yeah, I run my camp. camp. It's, it's my favorite week of the year. Tim Legner basketball camps in South Jersey, uh, twenty minutes from Philly, but it's in Jersey. Uh, I've run like it for fourteen, 14 years. years. Very proud of it, man. Wow. And and uh, it's every level. It's co-ed. It's every level, and it's literally my favorite week of the uh, of the year to get to 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 work with these kids. Look, most most of those kids are not going to play college basketball. They love the game. 
and they want to learn the fundamentals. And uh, I've had some good ones come through over the years, but uh, it's just, it's just my job is what I tell them the first day. My job is, and every coach I believe this about, my job is when you leave on Friday, you need to love the game a little more than you do right now. And if I didn't do that, then I didn't do my job. And I think the same way about a high school coach, an AAU coach, a college coach, if that guy doesn't hand you off when it's time for you to leave and you love it more than you did the day you got there, the guy did something wrong, in my opinion. Yeah. Mm. Wow. You know, we were going to uh, – I told uh, Josh and the guys before we came on, I said, Tim and I played against one another. We don't really know each other that well. Maybe we'll just do a lot. We'll go really uh, in-depth with because he's on top of everything NBA. So my point is we planned on doing that, but – We've gone so long because you've been so fucking fascinating that we're not going to even really touch on basketball today. I want you to come back another time to talk about this season. But real quick, who's best team in the West, best team in the East right I think now? Golden, I think Golden State's going to win the whole thing. And the reason I say that is this. Here's why I say that. They're the one team. Now, listen, who knows what Harden and Embiid ultimately look like? Obviously, that's the most potent combination offensively in the league. So who knows? Phoenix, <laughs> Phoenix Suns. Yeah, Phoenix too. Listen, here's why I say Golden State, right? Here's why I say Golden State. <laughs> if you think about it, they're the only team, when you talk about like contenders, they're the only one that I say, man, think about this now. Clay just got back. Yeah. How much better is Clay Thompson going to be in two months? Draymond Green's been out. Wiseman's about to come back. And the other guy that improves every night who is going to be a star in this league is Jonathan Kaminga. Yeah. That dude reminds and Jordan me Jordan Peele. A, 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 I mean, or it's, not it's, Jordan Peele. Jo- uh, Poole, Jordan, Jordan Poole. Poole. Yes. Yeah. No. So I just look at them and I go, wow, it's fascinating. The second best record in the league. And I still feel like there's 20, 30% more out there that yeah. they haven't even gotten to yet. And that's why ultimately I'll say to them, but look, am I going to be shocked if the Suns win? Of course not. Yeah. Um, and in the East, whew, tough. I, honestly, if I had today, if I had to go lay money on this, I would probably bet on Milwaukee. But the ultimate ceiling is probably in Philadelphia. If those two guys find the ebb and flow of when to be alpha and they understand, you know, it's going to be some growing pains there and they're going to pick up somebody at the buyout. If they get Gary Harris, that would be enormous. Um, that could be an unstoppable combination of what they do to you physically every night. I just don't know how you match up with those two guys. So they're an interesting one to look at, but it, look, if I laid money on it today in Vegas, I'd probably say Phoenix and Milwaukee rematch in the finals. Wow. But, but a month from now, I think Golden State might be looking like they just have too much, too much depth. Do you and, think and Philly won the trade then? Philadelphia the definitely won the trade for this really? reason. Here's why I say that. Here's why I say that. They were not winning a championship with Ben Simmons. They were not winning a championship, obviously, this year because he left and he didn't even replace them. This now puts them into a legitimate argument as a title contender. It does. And Brooklyn already was a title contender, and now they still are. So for me, for Philly, they basically went up to the top shelf. They weren't there, and they weren't going to be there no matter what. They weren't getting there. And I, like I said, I don't even think with Ben Simmons as your starting point guard that was going to happen. So now they are legitimately in that conversation, and that's why, for me, they ultimately won it. They had no choice to, but to make that deal to bring in a guy like that. Now, look, it might not work, and Harden is fickle, 
He might flame out in the playoffs like he's done before, get booed by the most rabid fan base known to man, and might pull one of those Ben Simmons where he's in the shower after the last game of the season saying to himself, man, I can't ever run out there again. Yeah. Who knows with Harden? I mean, but yeah. but in the do short you, term, had to do it. Do you discount um, the Nets this year? I don't because, look, Ben Simmons has value. And right now he's so beat up that it's – he Forget. reminds me. He reminds me of Jason, uh, oh, the young Jason kid, as uh, six six ten. Because and, and look, there were times Jason would tell you, you know, I, I can think back about playing against Dallas, who Nelly traded Jason, and he right. would do it. He would try to embarrass him, like he wouldn't guard it. I'd come off a pin down and have two guys in my lap. We would cuss Jason. Jason, you got to shoot the fucking basketball, yeah, right? You right. know, he did. He he had a thing about it. But you got to get over that thing. I still think Ben Simmons, I mean, he's arguably the best defender in the league. He's, he's high basketball IQ. I hope that he's in a spot with his homeboy, Patty Mills, and Stevie Nash taking care of him, that, and KD hopefully showing some leadership with Kyrie. Hopefully that, that he can grow up during this time. It obviously didn't work out in Philly. I hate how it went down but he's one hell of a basketball player. And when you, when you've got arguably the two greatest scorers playing alongside you, how much do you have to shoot? You, you know, listen, you, every point you make is great. And the one thing he's going to do for them, well, multiple things, but one thing that's huge, because even with James, James is not playing with pace. Nothing happens until right. James gets up the floor, right? That's just the way he operates. Ben Simmons creates so much pace that's going to allow role players to walk into naked looks, mm. including, you know, KD and Kyrie, who obviously don't need help to get shots, but they're both great catch-and-shoot players. So Ben Simmons' initial surge up the floor is something that they've never had, and now these guys all get easier shots. Yeah. So I agree with that. He can guard anybody in the floor. I agree with that. That psychological component is fascinating to me because I think the one thing that people need to understand, that's why I said all along, he's better off not going to a Northeast Corridor team. New York, Brooklyn, Boston, Philly, obviously he left, and, and maybe even Washington to a certain extent, but they're not quite as interested in that team right. in that town. But those other three, because the fans are just, you know, it's, it's just yeah. different. It's it hard. ruins yeah. their week if you lose. It's not like – a lot of cities in this league where it's like, hey, man, that was an entertaining game. Well done, yeah. guys. Like, no, it ain't like that in Philly, man. These dudes got to get up tomorrow, and they got to go deliver the Krispy Kreme donuts, man, and they're pissed off because right. we lost last night, right? So Ben Simmons, whatever that issue was that made him seize up where he was literally terrified of being an aggressive offensive player, that issue has not been talked about in eight, nine months. It was not addressed. That issue, he's going to put in a bag, and he's going to carry it on the train, and he's going to go yeah. on the Acela Express, and he's going to ride up to Brooklyn. And he's going to get out. He's going to get to his hotel room, and he's going to unpack that bag, and that issue is still in there. That yeah. traveled with him. And yeah. so that is something. Now, listen, he's got great support with two raw scorers, so he doesn't have to be that initial ball handler that he was in Philly, which was a bad role for him. So I get that. But at the same time, he is going to be on the floor in the last six minutes. He yeah. is going to have to make important free throws. He is going to have to be – just take the shots that are obvious, which he didn't yeah. do at the end of the season last year. So I'm interested to see that. Now, here's the one thing I'll, I'll say about this, this Brooklyn-Philly thing, last thing. 
And my friends in Philly, all my best friends are all Sixers fans, and they're a bunch of maniacs. And I, I'm sobering <laughs> them because they're so giddy over this trade. And I said, listen, here's the one thing you got to remember. And they call me a hater when I say this. And I was yeah. just honest. Here's one thing I know for a fact. Brooklyn and Philly now have to go through each other to a certain extent. Here's what I know. KD and Kyrie, they are not running from the light yeah. when, they, when the pressure's on, okay? James Harden has had some of his worst moments in the biggest games of his career. And Joel Embiid has struggled in playoff games at yeah. inopportune times. Now, look, he looks like a different guy this yeah, year. Yeah, he does. So he's in shape. He's determined. He's, he's grown up. He had a child. I think that helped him mature. He just looks different. So I don't expect him to have like some abominable series or something like that. But I'm just saying neither one of those guys have proven they can play at that level all the way through the playoffs. KD yeah. and Kyrie have. And so that's the one thing I look at. And they, now James Harden and Embiid have to prove that this year. And if God loves basketball, we're going to get Brooklyn Philly in a seven-game series because that's the best rivalry in the NBA yeah. overnight when that trade was made. Mm. No question. No Can you question. imagine also just like, God, that series like in the, in the playoffs that were to happen – I mean, Ben Simmons going into yes, Philly, in all those Philly. times, it's going to be on. Has uh, there ever been someone in, in this kind of like, I can't I think know. of a franchise or a city that's going to be more, more vitriol to a guy. I'm telling you, here's the thing. And, and I described this to somebody yesterday about this topic, because you think about some of the guys that have gotten it, like LeBron, right? When he came back to Cleveland and they're burning his jerseys in the street and it was bad that night, a dude ran onto the court, the whole bit, all the security. He won that game by 30 and that went away basically by the next time he came in. It wasn't anything like yeah. that, right? Um, I was at the game in Philly. As, I'm, not, I'm a Washington football team fan, but I went to an Eagles game. The game T.O. came back as a cowboy. After he left, remember he doing the sit-ups yep. in his driveway? Yep. He was public enemy number one, came back. That stadium was all over him. By the next time he came in, it kind of died down. I got news for you. Ben Simmons could play for 30 years in the NBA, and it is never going to die every time he comes into Philadelphia. In fact, and I heard his interview, and he said, oh, I'm looking forward to that March 10th game. I said, man, you are not looking forward to that. Don't you sit there and lie. Listen, Rex, if ever a guy has had a case of the stomach flu, it's going to be March 10th at shoot-around. I'm telling you right now, Ben Simmons, if he has the – listen, now if he's smart, he gets it over with because he might have to go there in the playoffs. He doesn't want to do – but he's thinking to himself, man, if I avoid March 10th, we might not play them in the playoffs. I don't deal with this till next year. So I don't know where his mind is. There's no way. He said your that with boy, a smile on his face. Oh, I'm really your, looking forward to that. Come on, your, your boy, your boys are gonna, your Philly boys are gonna love you for this. For They're never that. gonna stop, man. <laughs> listen, I, 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 I'm telling you right now. I listen to local uh, radio here, sports talk radio. They're trying to rally a group of several thousand fans to go up to Brooklyn for his first game in Brooklyn. Come on, to to, to, care, to buy their seats up. No, this is how I'm telling you, these guys are different level, man. They're maniacal. They don't forget. They got oh. long memories. And that guy is persona non grata in this town. And him to go to a team that he now has to get through, it's just the irony of it. And him, he, he'd have to guard Harden in that series. Think about that. I mean, just you salivate thinking wow, about the drama. Absolutely. Absolutely. And hey, of all uh, the cities, Philly is Philly. the. 
toughest city in yes. this country, I believe. No, I've no. worked there, shot there for like months and weeks. Every time I'd go get a burger, somebody knock into me and be like, want to fight? <laughs> it is a tough, tough Absolutely city. Absolutely, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I, Tim, I worry for him. We're going to let you get out of here, but real quick, uh, what's your favorite movie all time? Godfather. Thank you. Thank you. Well done. Godfather. Well played. You want to tell you, you what you, though? I have watched. I have watched, and my wife just cannot comprehend how many times I have. I the movie I've watched the most though, over the last couple of years, I don't even know how many times. Lone Survivor, uh, uh, with Mark Wahlberg. Yes, true story. Of the Navy SEALs in Afghanistan. Yep. That's my go-to. I could watch wow. that any time of night. How many nights my wife has woken up to gunfire? It's like they're coming from the TV. <laughs> I bet. She's like, Did what are you, you doing? I said, I'm just trying to relax. She goes, why is this relaxing you? I, said, I don't know. Maybe that's I'm a different breed. I don't know. Yeah, you know, I don't right. know. But I'm a very patriotic guy. I'm a very patriotic guy. And that movie gets me, man. And uh, so that's that's climbed. That's climbed to charge. But Godfather still to me. That, that's yeah. my all timer. Did you read the book? Lone Survivor? I did. I did read the book. It's, it's I think so much. I don't know if the movie's better had you not read that, in my opinion, in some ways, because they no, had no, no. condensed so much. But and that's also one of the few movies in history that the sequel was just as good. Oh, Godfather wow. 2 was just as good. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were talking about Lone Survivor, and I was like, <laughs> I thought you were talking about Godfather. <laughs> that's a, there's no sequel hey, to that, was there? Hey. Well, well, you know, you know, I don't know how you could come up with a sequel instead of Lone Survivor. Yeah. It's like, oh, next to last Survivor. Like, I don't yeah. know. Like, there was another dude, apparently, up in the woods they found. I don't know. Uh, Lone Survivor 2, no Survivor. <laughs> right, exactly. No, I was talking about Godfather. No, I, I did read the book Lone Survivor. Yes, yes. Yes. Uh, uh, you could sit down and have dinner with with uh, one person alive or dead. My father, mm. without question, because my father, my father was so important to me. I lost him at age twenty five to lung cancer. He, he, I had not really cemented myself in the NBA. I had some ten days, and uh, the night I won the three point shootout, he had passed in ninety two. That was nineteen ninety six, and I know for a fact there were several balls that came off my hand that night that were not supposed to go in. And there was a guiding force in, in, in the Alamo dome that night. Uh, and it was him and, you know, he never met my children and he's just an incredible man. And I know how much he would have loved my kids and how proud he would have been of the career I have. But more importantly, I think the man I am and, and how I represented what he was as a father to me and try to incorporate that into being a dad. So I would love to be able to just get his perspective on what he's watched over the last 30 years. Mm. That's beautiful. Beautiful thing, Tim. Tim Legler, you're a good man. Uh, and then, then, then front row center for any group, dead or alive or whatever, front row center. What, to watch? Yeah. Yep. You mean I'm going to play guitar group? with him? Oh, yep. man. Like ACDC. My God. <laughs> <laughs> There's no... There is no question. <laughs> I've seen ACDC live 10 times. Um, Have you really? Oh, yeah. Angus Young, I don't care how old he gets. I, I'll be there. It don't, ah. He could be out there in a damn wheelchair playing, oh, and he's still it. the best damn guitarist I've ever heard. Like my, no, every, that's a known fact amongst everybody that knows me. Uh, every time, and they're still throwing tours together. I can't believe it, but that's the first thing my wife's going to do is scrounge up a couple of tickets. I saw them in the Meadowlands, man, 80,000 people. 
about six, seven years ago, and it was the most mind-blowing thing I've ever seen. That's, that's I'm an 80s, I'm an 80s rock awesome. guy, man. That's my yeah. genre, and that's my band. I, I know we're going to get out of here, but I did want to say, because you said, because you are, uh, you know, you say you're, you're not an NBA, you know, all-time legend, so you can't just go out there and, and make people laugh. But you said a, a funny person. What did you say about Porzingis the other day? It was, it oh, was I said, funny. I said, I said, you know, some people call Kristaps Porzingis the unicorn because he's unique. And I said, I think he's the unicorn because you never see him. <laughs> Because he's just he's just hurt all the time. And of course, and Rex, Rex, listen, listen, man. I, I mean, am I entitled to have a funny line once in a while? Like yes, but the people, like the vitri a lot listen, a lot of people on social media did love that, but also a lot of other people. Oh, Legler, oh, Legler you were hurt yeah. a lot as a player. And I'm like, yeah, oh my god. You know, come on, man. Come come on, on. You know the difference? I'm like, happy. you know the difference? He's a lottery pick. I was an yeah. undrafted free agent. Thank you. Thank no, you. A sense of humor, people. That's it, lighten yeah. up. I, you know, I don't know. It just hit sports. me in the moment. I, yeah, it got it's a lot of sports. feedback. A lot of feedback. It was good, though. Good. Tim, you got to come back and hang with us. Hey, uh, listen, we'll I, I, you, 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 dude, I look up to you so much. And oh, uh, come on, man. always did as Thanks. a player, as a person. And, and you, you know, you got a media career going yourself. So Thanks, anytime buddy. you want me from here throughout the rest of the season, break down, you know, games, playoffs, whatever you want, give me a call. We're taking you up Dude, on that. That's awesome. Yeah. So right. you'll, you'll rue the day. <laughs> yeah. Nah, not at all, man. I love talking hoops, man. This was, this was a lot of fun. Um, and uh, I, I love getting off topic too, from just the yeah. stuff I'm normally talking about. It was, it was good. Same, same. Much love, Timmy. Have a great same. day. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. You got Thank it. you so much, man. Yep. Uh, that was Tim Legler. And man, I could have talked to him for another couple hours. And boy, do I feel like shit after talking yeah. to him about <laughs> myself. I told you. Yeah, it's a continue. We we just have to just rename it the the Rex Chapman podcast with his dipshit friend shit. Josh Hopkins. Two pieces of shit. Just the, much of a dipshit as Rex is, and they well, interview smart people. God, you know, we, we, so just on a whim on three days' notice, took tests and got into Wharton Business School. <laughs> I mean, what a yeah. They could have. They could have told me. All right, Rex. Look, if you can pass this test in twenty years, <laughs> and, <laughs> and I would still be sitting right here. Oh, I, I would never get it. I mean, oh. to, to have that kind of focus, though, and mindset, and and to be like at thirty three, and you could tell he was just broken. You know, yeah. spiritually, emotionally, all of that. Uh, going through a divorce now um physically hurting and searching and what's he do just full bore into something that he never thought ever about and was a success at it and you see how you could talk to that guy all day you see yeah. why he has a job in tv for the last 20 years yeah. and somebody needs to hire him as a basketball coach god that was so obvious he sounds like <laughs> a coach he's inspirational when he's not even trying to be sitting you would there. love to go play for that guy yep yep uh, God, uh, I hope, I don't know if he still wants to, but I hope he does go coach somewhere because I he'll do too. be hell of a he's, coach. He's one of those guys, they'll hire him in two years, they'll be in the tournament, in four years, they'll be in the Sweet 16. You know, mm -hmm. it, he's just, he's a he's one of those guys that just doesn't fail, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's, he's going to succeed. That was fun. Yeah, it was. 
All right, buddy. Uh, same time next week. Uh, same bat channel. Join us for the Rex Chapman Show. This was episode 34 of the Rex Chapman Show with super cool Josh Hopkins. Join us next time here, powered by basketballnews.com. <laughs>